You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 226, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. Musician Logan Farmer is my guest for this edition of Look at My Records. In late 2022, Farmer released his stunning sophomore effort, A Mold for the Bell. Inspired by the films of Andre Tarkovsky and the literature of Olga Tarkazuk, the intimate and tranquil-sounding record was born out of a two-day session with Grammy-nominated producer Andrew Berlin. The rest of the album's creation occurred remotely over texts, phone calls, and emails with a series of excellent collaborators, including saxophonist Joseph Shabason, who also mixed the album, and renowned harpist Mary Lattimore. During our interview, Logan and I talked about the progression in his songwriting from his 2020 album Still No Mother to A Mold for the Bell, the record's lone harsh moment on Crooked Wires, and much more. Logan also picked some awesome records from my collection, including choice cuts from The Blue Nile, Bruce Springsteen, and others. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews of new music, premieres, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. I'm here with Logan Farmer, just released his awesome new record, A Mold for the Bell. It's out now on Western Vinyl. Logan, congrats on the release. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, how are you doing? Great. Happy to be speaking with you. You're coming at us from Colorado, right? That's your home base? Yep, Fort Collins. Cool. How long uh, have you been there for? Uh, I think we're going on about six years in January. So, yeah, we moved out here in the height of winter. So it's about 2017, I think, we came up. Oh, wow. Well, very cool. Always great to talk to somebody in Colorado. Wonderful state. Before we dive into the new record, A Mold for the Bell, I was pretty curious about your history-making music as a solo artist i know prior to releasing uh, your first record under your own name in 2020 you released five records under the name monarch mountain so just to focus on that i was curious as to why you wanted to shift to making music under your own name do you feel more connected with the music you're making now does it feel more personal what was the reasoning behind that shift for you? Yeah, sure. Um, it was actually my label's idea initially. Um, I'd thought about it for a while, but just could never really commit to it. I think um, I always kind of felt like, as most people do, that you know, my name was kind of dorky and I wasn't really into it. And I wanted to kind of hide behind a moniker. And uh, yeah, but then um, my label kind of pitched the idea to me and I thought it worth a shot, you know? And um yeah, and I mean, I'm really glad I did it because it's kind of, um, it's opened up, it's kind of united those two 
psyches a little bit. I think that um, when you perform at the moniker, you can kind of compartmentalize your life to a point where a lot of people don't know, would, didn't know that I made music for a long time. Um, I kind of kept it hidden, and so now I can kind of embrace it as a part of an intrinsic part of who I am, which it always was, but now it's it's harder to escape. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a good it was a good move. I'm really happy I did it. Nice. Were you uh, a little hesitant at first to do that, or at that point were you ready to just dive into doing that? I think I was just so excited to uh, work with the label that I was like. Like, fuck it, whatever. Like, that sounds great. <laughs> whatever they say, it. yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah, because I had been thinking about it for a while. I wasn't against the idea. Um, I just couldn't really, I couldn't take the leap for some reason. Um, but it was a good time to do it. I mean, yeah, and five records uh, under a specific moniker, it just, it felt like a good time to start fresh. Yeah, and your last record is really great, too. So I did want to touch on that a little bit before we go into a mold for the bell. Your last record is called Still No Mother. Uh, it was a concept album. It is a concept album focused on your climate anxiety. Uh, you originally envisioned it as uh, songs farmers might sing in the face of climate change. You drew influence from Woody Guthrie's album, Dust Bowl Ballads. It's a really great, fascinating record and a cool concept. So I just wanted to get your take on the initial conception of that record how Guthrie inspired you and how it kind of morphed from what you originally envisioned it to be to to what it wound up uh, becoming right um yeah I mean I've, I've always been uh very concerned and obsessed with um the climate crisis um and I wanted to make an album that kind of explored those feelings a little bit deeper uh, and initially, it was supposed to be more of a storytelling concept album, like uh, you mentioned, Dust Bowl Ballads, which um, which almost you know felt like a a series of short stories, kind of surrounding uh, the environmental crisis at that time, which was the Dust Bowl. Uh, and so I wanted to do something similar. Um, but as I kind of opened that bag of worms in my mind, it became more about me and uh, how I was feeling and trying to process all of those emotions. Um, and there, I mean, there are some fictional bits in there. I think a lot of my songs um, do kind of retain that storytelling quality. Um, but I really wanted to live in that reality uh, of just instead of shying away from it, kind of just um, reminding myself of the reality of the climate crisis as much as I possibly could. And um, it's hard but it you know that's that's where it all came from and i think um you know i since then i think everything that i write has some sort of relation um to climate change and uh, environmental collapse it's it's always with me now uh and in a way that's a good thing and in a way that's also um you know it's a it's a hard hard reality to live in when you're making music but um yeah. I'm really interested in the creative process behind making that record because of how it kind of shifted to reflecting you and your own experiences so much. When did you start to see that the the writing process behind those songs kind of shifted focus and it was turning into something else? I think it was a matter of um, not 
you know, I, I try to sit down with a concept a lot of times, but if, if it kind of naturally evolves in a different direction, I try not to control that. I kind of let it, let it go and just see what happens. Um, and so every, everything that I release has a natural evolution where I sit down, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I have intent here, but it's, it's never, you know, it's, it's, it works on its own trajectory. Um, and so, yeah, I don't really know exactly how it happened, but it, that's just kind of went, what went down. And um, that album was, I recorded that one at home. I mixed it myself. Um, and so it was a very, like, insular experience. Um, of just me. I mean, there are other artists uh, on the album, and they, they do an amazing job. Um, but most of it's just, just me. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about how the process of making this record uh, was different for you than making uh, Still No Mother. Uh, it seems like a different we- record in some ways, definitely has a feel, feels similar in some ways, also feels very different in some ways. So how do you feel like this record was different for you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Still No Mother, my last record uh, was was very sparse and I wanted to kind of explore that sonic palette even further. Um, I wanted to see how stripped back, how sparse I could go. Um, I wanted to make something that was, you know, uh, subversive in how quiet it was. Um, and I tried recording that myself. Uh, and, you know, when you're making really stripped down music, uh, you hear, I mean, it, it, it has to sound, has to sound good. And I just, I, I was having so much trouble recording it myself. And so I, um, I went to a studio uh, here in town and recorded with Andrew Berlin, um, who's worked with like Gregory Allen Isakov and uh, a bunch of other artists. And um, we, were, we tracked it all live uh, because another thing too is that when I was trying to record the guitar and vocals separately, like I usually do, which makes life a lot easier for mixing and so on, um, it just wasn't capturing any of the spontaneity of the songs. Um, and so we recorded it live and, um, you know, I wanted to I wanted it to feel like an, an intimate performance that you were in the room with me and I wanted it to kind of have a, an organic quality and kind of a lo-fi quality while still sounding warm and, and sparse um, and so you know it was it was different in a lot of ways but it, I did I sat down with a very specific sonic uh, you know, vibe in mind. It was less about a, about a narrative concept. Like it was a soul to mother. I didn't really yeah. think about that very much. I just kind of wrote the songs. Uh, but sonically this one to me, um, I had something very specific in mind and I think we pulled it off. Yeah. And I know you tracked guitars and vocals in a very short period of time, a two day period. And then you kind of pieced together the rest of the record over the course of the next year. So take, Take me through the process of getting the rest of the record sounding the way it did, aside from the, you know, really core parts of your guitars and and vocals. Yeah, totally. Uh, Well, every other bit of instrumentation was done remotely, um, you know, kind of by necessity, because it was it was, you know, peak pandemic era. Um, And yeah, I mean, I wanted woodwinds. I wanted a lot of saxophone. Um, I worked with Joseph Shabazin, who's also on my label. He's a like an ambient jazz artist um, and excellent saxophonist. And he mixed the record and also contributed saxophone throughout, uh, which I thought was an interesting thing as well, because usually, I mean, saxophone is very hot right now. 
uh, in all genres, but you don't really hear it over like skeletal, doomy folk music. So I wanted to try that out and see see what happened. And um, yeah, and I wanted uh, less like synth because Stone Mother had a decent bit of synth pads and um, drum machines and stuff. And I wanted this to have a much more organic quality. Um, as if it could have been recorded, you know, like a hundred years ago or a hundred years in the future. Um, and so, yeah, I worked with, uh, with Joseph, uh, Mary Lattimore, um, played harp on the track, yep. which I really appreciated. Um, and we, uh, had Naomi McCarroll Butler played clarinet. We had a few other people as well. Um, Annie Leith. Um, it was actually a pretty big, despite, you know, how stripped down the album sounds, it was actually a bigger cast of contributors than I worked with before. Uh, and all remotely, and um, it was neat. It all came together well, and um, yeah, I mean, I would get the stems back from the artists, and I would uh, from the musicians, and I would kind of throw them together in like a rough mix, and I'd send it all to Joseph, and he would refine it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I wanted to, you know, recording it quickly um, also worked for me as well because I wanted to retain the spontaneity of a performance. I mean, it's like when I think a lot of other musicians feel the same way. Uh, that oftentimes, like the rough demos you record when you first write a song are like the best recordings yeah. as, as far as the performance goes. And so I wanted to kind of, um, you know, capture that feeling as well. You cited the uh, film Andre Rublev by Tarkovsky and the novels of Olga Takrachuk. Um, and I, I was really interested in uh, the fact that you cited that film. I'd never seen it before. I watched some clips of it. Um, and I know it seems like the title, A Mold for the Bell, uh, references a character in that movie. The character's name is Boriska, uh, and he's the son of a bell maker. But I was curious about how those works uh, informed that rec- uh, the record. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I feel like when lockdown happened, I was I was consuming just really shitty entertainment, you know, just watching like terrible <laughs> TV, uh, and I like wasn't reading. And so and then just, you went like highbrow art house stuff. I was like, I gotta do something that. productive. Yeah, and so I, I I like signed up for Criterion, and I uh, yeah just started watching a bunch of movies that I'd put off watching for years. Um, Got really into like Ingmar Bergman and and uh, Andre Tarkovsky, um, and yeah, I love his films. That's actually not my favorite of his, but it definitely left a mark um, aesthetically. Especially that scene you mentioned. Um, there's a chunk of the movie towards the end that's dedicated to this kid who uh, pretends to be a bell maker, um, and they cast this. They, you know, months pass and they're casting this huge bell. Uh, and he knows at the end they're going to unveil it for the town. Uh, and I think like the royalty is going to be there. And um, if the bell doesn't work, if they can't get it to toll, then uh, he'll be executed on the spot or something like that. And, um, you know, and I, I, it does end up working. But um, for some reason, that whole scene was moving to me, that whole uh, chunk of the movie. Um, and I think the... Uh, you know, the imagery of that was uh, memorable. And um, yeah, and that's that, that's kind of where that connection ends. You know, I think because um, there was also at the time I was living really close to a church uh, here yeah. in Old Town. And, um, you know, and I would always hear those bells ringing. And I just, all the songs, I just kept um, 
I just kept writing about song about bells. That that imagery just kept coming back to me, and um, and Olga Terkuksik, uh her her novels um, also had a profound impact on me as well. And she's kind of sim- I mean, she's not similar to Tarkovsky, but they both have this sort of uh, vague magical realism kind of clashing with with uh, cold reality, uh, and you know. Uh, her book, I mean, her books are spectacular. I, I'm a huge fan of her work. And I was reading, I was reading a lot of her as well as I was watching those movies and trying to get my head straight in the midst of COVID. Um, and yeah, I think, I think all of those things kind of bled into the writing. And um, I wanted to kind of have, I wanted my, the, the album to make the listener and make me feel like those pieces of art felt at the time. Yeah, totally. And the record has this really serene, ambient feeling to it throughout, uh, except for parts of Crooked Lines, which kind of veers off course a bit. Uh, it has these sharp, sharp kind of grating moments at the end, and they're kind of introduced kind of quickly, and then they kind of go away really quickly, too. It's kind of just like a brief moment on the record. And so that really stood out to me and really struck me as uh, pretty powerful because it stood out from the rest of the record. And it seemed like it was very deliberate. So just tell us a little bit about that part of the record. Uh, you know, it's a really powerful moment that stands out as quite different from everything that surrounds it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never, I, I think um, I make a, a deliberate effort to, I never want to make music that's just, just too pretty. It's just too beautiful. Um, I don't want to uh, lull the listener into just utter relaxation. So I, I try to add um, little moments of, of you know, uh, ugliness into everything that I do. And I never, you know, I don't want it to sound too refined. And so, uh, yeah, Crooked Lions has these, like, these bursts of distortion uh, yeah. that are, that I just, I thought was fun. You know, I'm just so glad. That ended up there, you know, I was, um, I recorded, uh, we were almost done with the record, yeah. uh, and I liked it, but it was sounding too, it was sounding too pretty. And I wanted to, to do something in there, um, to kind of subvert expectations a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, that was one song that I wrote, uh, here at home in my studio and, um, I just like wrote it and I just recorded it really quick, uh, just because I knew that I could just do some something fucked up in there and just make it sound crazy. Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite, you know, there, there's like a, a 45 second ish bit. It's the end of side a on the, on the vinyl. And, uh, it's just, just pure, just distortion, just noise. And I just, it, I, it tickled me to be able to just like stick that into a pretty folk album, you know? So Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. Yeah. I really, I liked it a lot for sure. Yeah. It, it it's unexpected, but I think that makes it really uh, enjoyable and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I mean these these songs are um you know they're it is it's it, it, you know to me it's not as um to me it's 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 very dark uh, music and dark subject matter um, and so I try really hard to not let something be too. Um, too pretty where it's just, where it's just, you know, decorative, um, you know, coffee shop music. You know, I I want to do something a little more interesting than that. Yeah. And horsehair 
is one of the singles from the record, one of the standout tracks on the record. And you described it as one of the best things you've ever written, uh, at least insofar as clarity is concerned. Uh, what did you mean by that? And what do you think, uh, from your perspective, uh, clicked for you on that song that you kind of realized I'm really putting something together that I'm particularly proud of and I think is some of my my best work? Yeah, you know, I think um, there there are just a few lines in there that struck me as as being um, you know, accurate to how I was feeling at the time. Um, I think that you know um, that that first fall winter of 2020 um, was just a strange traumatic time for everyone and. Um, when I hear that song now and I hear the lyrics, it, it kind of brings you back to that point. Um, and it, it's kind of, it just, it's, it's direct without being, um, overly obvious, you know, uh, and it's not, um, it's not shrouded in, in flowery language. It seems to me like it's pretty, it just, it kind of hit the nail. It, it did what I wanted it to do. Uh, and that is always kind of the challenge is like, you know, saying what you want to say without just saying it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's successful in my mind. And I'm glad that that was the one, um, that's the one that Mary Lattimore played on. And so it's just like a, you know, all around, I'm really happy with how that one turned out. Yeah, it's a, a wonderful song. And speaking of Mary Lattimore's contributions to the track on harp, you know, they're really incredible. How'd you connect with her? And as far as her contribution to the track, did you have an idea of how you wanted it? to sound before she came into the fold or did she kind of have like free reign to, to add what she thought would, would sound good? Yeah. I, I usually just give, um, contributors free reign. I send it to them. And if they, if, that, if there's something I don't like, I'll, we'll, we'll go back and we'll, we'll talk about it deeper. But usually, you know, first go around, I just send in the track and let them do their thing. Um, and that was, you know, that was her first, uh, the first bit of stuff she sent me um, is what made it on the record, and um, yeah, I just I just sent her an email. I was I mean I was it was a lucky time it was a it was a time not a lucky time but it was a time when everyone was just sitting at home, and uh, it was you know people's schedules were were clear and so I could just email Mary Lattimore out of the blue and then we just we talked a little bit and she you know played some harp on the album you know it, it, it was I feel very fortunate that it worked out. And tell me a, a little bit about some of the other collaborators that helped this record come together. You know, it is a very, you know, there are parts that are sparse, but there's also at the same time, it does have this, you know, full sound due to all these other uh, contributions from other musicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Joseph Shabazin, uh, I'm just a big fan of his and he, um, I first heard his stuff because he played on the uh, the album Kaput uh, by Destroyer, um, which is obviously like that is nothing like my music at all. But I love that album, uh, and his saxophone contributions I think really molded uh, the sound of that record. And um, you know when I got signed to Western Vinyl, he was on my list of people to, to contact. Um, and before this album uh, was created, uh, you know I think we. I, we emailed back and forth a few times and um 
he you know just like played on a, a b-side that um i have not released um and then he's like well if you ever want like you know to mix anyone to mix your records let me know because i'm trying to mix more albums and so um i said hell yeah and so we just we did it and he um I think his contributions to Mold for the Bell also really kind of shaped, you know, his saxophone kind of shaped a lot of the sound and his um, little decisions with, with mixing as well. Um, certain effects that he added and, and a certain warmth as well. I think he had a, he played a huge part in developing the sound of the album. Um, and then other people, you know, uh, Annie Leith, um, she's a violinist and a producer uh, based in, Athens, I think, Georgia, and um, she plays with like Faye Webster, and I think um, tours with Faye Webster, uh, and this is, she also worked on Still No Mother as well, and she just, um, very intuitive violinist, and another person that I just, I just send tracks to, and she just nails it first time, um, and, you know, I mean, uh, Naomi, who played clarinet, that was, she was introduced to me by my Joseph, um, and yeah, I mean, all of these people, you know, played a tremendous role in making the album. Uh, my friend Ben Ward, who's a, a, a photographer and a filmmaker, um, he did the artwork, he, he filmed all the videos, uh, and, you know, all of these people really, um, the, the album has a very lonely sound, but it's it was a really collaborative effort, more so than anything else I've ever done. Um, so I feel very fortunate. Tell me a little bit about the closing track, uh, South Vienna. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorite songs on the record, and I think it really uh, ends a record on a really strong note. Yeah, that one actually almost uh, didn't make it onto the album. That was, um, I think, like the night before. Uh, I had written it around the same time as other songs, but I'd kind of abandoned it. And then I think um, the night before going to the studio for the second time, I was just sitting... Uh, in my apartment playing it and my partner said um is that going to go on the album and i said I, I don't think so but she um she told me to just record it and see uh and yeah i'm really glad i did and um i think it fits with the other songs really well and uh it's also one of my favorite bits on the album too um and yeah that that it's a it's a good closing chapter i think for a mold for the bell and um has kind of a waltz sounds to it as well and it sounds kind of antique to me which i thought was kind of neat um yeah cool and do do you have a favorite song on this record or a, a song that you loved either the backstory of or the process of making yeah um i mean yeah i like them all uh, i like i mean for different reasons um south Vienna is one of my favorites uh the moment is kind of it's on the latter half I also just love the lyrics of that song. To me, it's there's a very like a uh, specific character that I picture when I when I listen to that song. Um, Renegade was a cool one uh, because that was kind of meant to be the climax of the album, uh, and that one kind of ends in uh, kind of similarly ugly strafes as a uh, as Crooked Lions does, where it kind of just collapses into like glitchy woodwinds and weird synth bursts and uh, just weird stuff. Uh, and that one I'm, I'm pretty proud of as well. Um, and that was going to sound, we were going to use like really heavy guitars at first um, for that one. But I think it ended up in a really kind of unusual, kind of glitchy place. It kind of, sound, kind of sounds like futuristic, while the rest of the album sounds pretty uh, 
organic. So, um, yeah, but they're all, they're all my little, my little children. And, um, so I guess just a final question for part one of this interview is what's next now that this record is out. This is your second record, uh, as Logan farmer, um, different from the first in, in some ways, similar in some ways. What do you see the next uh, batch of songs sounding like or, or feeling like? Yeah, well, I have a whole bunch of um, new songs written, um, trying to decide how I want to record them and release them. Uh, but I, def- I definitely want, um, I want to kind of lean into a, a heavier sound, I think, with the next record. Um, you know, just kind of, I, I want to make something a little... A little more, a little uglier sounding, a little heavier, uh, and the songs um, I think will, will, you know, will work well with that kind of sound. Um, and but in the immediate future, you know, I'm uh, hoping to to play some shows. Um, we're working on some potential uh, Europe dates as well because um, I have a pretty supportive audience over there. Um, and yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I'm open for whatever. What do you think is what do you think is steering you in that direction uh, sonically as far as the music that you, you want to make uh, now after doing these uh, this record? Yeah, I think it's just I always want to um, challenge myself a little bit sonically. I always want to I never want my my records to sound too similar. Um, and, you know, I think I just, um, you know, I, I want to kind of explore uh, more things that I listen to. Um, I, I don't listen to a lot of a lot of folk music. I have I have some uh, select artists that I love, um, but I you know I don't want to be just limited to one genre. Um, so as much as I can explore new sounds and um, you know just kind of like just make sure that people don't feel that they can always expect what I'm going to do next. I don't know, you know. I think um, and and I think I want to you know I. Uh, it's this strange, scary time. Um, and I kind of want the music to reflect that a little bit. Um, scarier music, which, you know, I say these things, but my, my, you know, it's all, it's, 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 we'll see if any of this actually happens, but that's kind of what I want to do. And at least, you know, if nothing else, um, another folk record with some distorted guitars, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. Cool. Can't, can't wait to hear it. That's very exciting. All right. So now we're going to hear some songs from Logan's record, A Mold for the Bell. We're going to hear Silence or Swell, Horse Hair, Crooked Lines, and Renegade. Thank you. 
gonna be hard to talk about this when it's done. Those days of plenty come and gone. Morning lake and silver are seen me when I come.
It's ruined us 
All right, we just heard four songs from Logan's record, A Mold for the Bell. We heard the first track, Silence or Swell. Then we heard the third track, Horsehair. We followed that up with the fourth track, Crooked Lines. And we ended that set with the seventh track on the album, Renegade. You can get a copy of A Mold for the Bell on vinyl via loganfarmer.bandcamp.com. And of course, it's also available on all streaming platforms. All right, so we will do this awesome record part now, starting off with Tinseltown in yeah. the Rain by the Blue Nile. Tell me a little bit about why yeah. you, you picked I love, this I love that album. This is a 12-inch single mm-hmm. that I enjoy spinning while I'm DJing. Yeah, yeah that's, it's just, uh, I love, um, let's see, what what are the two big blue, I mean, there's Hats, this is the one Blue Nile album, uh, but this one yeah. is off of um, Walk Across the Rooftops, isn't that what it's called? Um, and they're both yes. just, they're both great albums that I listen to a lot, um, just very, like, romantic lyrics, uh, and just, um kind of this like urban fairy tale mythology vibe uh that i just i just love and i love i think his vocal performance in tinseltown of the rain is just so great um yeah i could listen to that song over and over again um yeah and i've been trying to get uh i have walk across the rooftops on vinyl i don't have hats i've heard that that's like a a hard thing to find uh it was it was reissued, very hard to get an original pressing, but even hard Is to get right? the reissue. I'm pretty sure. I know my my friend <laughs> had something where he ordered, tried to order the reissue, and then it got canceled because he ordered it through Amazon or something, and then he, you know, missed out on it. Yeah. So yeah, now I, I think it goes for a lot on Discog. So it's hard yeah. to hard to get i look for it all the time and it's like um and sometimes those reissues just don't sound that good either um like i think i have a uh and this could just be a fluke but i got i got the mark hollis reissue and that came out of his solo album uh from talk talk mark hollis and uh, who i'm a huge fan of and i was super excited to get this reissue and uh yeah it just didn't sound didn't sound that good to me and it could have just been my copy but you just never know i don't know yeah, some reissues sound like yeah. butt. That's not uh, yeah, out of exactly. the ordinary. Yeah. Reach open Dragging a Dead Deer Up a Hill by Grouper off of uh, <coughs> um, uh, Heavy Water slash I'd Rather Be yeah. Sleeping. Um, I listened to a lot of Grouper when I was making A Mold for the Bell. Um, I, I think that that just like a that thick, fuzzy, warm quality that her albums have um, is something that I was trying to trying to capture. Um because to me, in a lot of ways, "I'm Old for the Bell" is is a like an ambient record, you know. Um, and I just wanted to kind of, so yeah. I mean, I was listening to her a lot, and I was I was taking a lot of walks at the time, um, you know, when the streets were pretty empty, 
and um, just listening to Grouper. Uh, and it was cold and icy and snowy. And it just, you know, I just, those memories um, to me are just, were just, you know, that's that defined a lot of uh, that part of my life was like, you know, and when I think about uh, dragging a, a dead deer up a hill, um, you know, I, I think about my record a lot too. Um, but yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful production, um, fuzzy, warm, like a blanket, but also very sad at the same time. Very Two Faces by Bruce Springsteen off of his uh, 1987 album, Tunnel yeah. of Love. That's like that's probably my favorite Springsteen record, uh, is Tunnel of Love. I think it gets a bad rep. Um, it's just it's yeah, it has it has some of the same qualities as um, his like, Nebraska and um, Ghost of Tom Joad, uh, but it also has more of like a synthy like 80s quality to it. But it's just a very sad record. I think that um, he yeah. recorded it. I think he was maybe going through a divorce or something. I'm not sure. But um, that's one of my favorite tracks off that record. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm a, hu- I'm a huge Springsteen fan. Uh, you know, it, he, I think he also gets, he does he gets a lot of flack for the anthemic stuff, which is also good. But I think he also has the ability to write sad songs. Uh, like like nobody's business, or at least he used to. Um, and yeah, I don't listen. Yeah, I don't listen to that. I don't listen to Tunnel Love very often when I'm alone because it's just too sad <laughs> to me. You know. Yeah, it totally, totally a bummer, but a great record. Wanna laugh, wanna cry, one says. But a great record. Next, Cherry Colored Funk by Cocteau Twins off of Heaven or Las Vegas. Yeah. I forgot that I, I chose a lot of 80s music for this. I didn't really realize at the time. Um, yeah, Cocteau Twins, another one of my favorite bands um, that, you know, I have like no similarity with my own music. But um, yeah, and that, that yeah, Cherry Colored Funk, um, that's... That's one of my favorite Cocteau Twin songs, and that's my favorite. Heaven of Las Vegas is my favorite Cocteau Twins album, uh, and it just has this like this shine to it. Um, and every song is just so catchy and memorable, and the whole collection is so cohesive. Um, and that yeah, that song is just I think it's beautiful, and you know, one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Uh, wild, and we you know without having any idea. Wild, wild. Yeah. Having no idea what she's saying. Yeah, without ever. yeah exactly. What she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. But it doesn't matter. It's just it's emotional. It's great.
had two older tunes. Now we got two newer tunes. First, uh, Trust by the Weather mm-hmm. Station off of Ignorance. Yeah. yeah, that's an amazing record as well. Um, that, you know, I think uh, I hadn't really listened to Weather Station very much before that album came out. Um, like I was, I was aware of her music and I liked what I had heard. Um, but then it came out around the same time as Still No Mother, um, and which, as we talked about, was a was an album about climate anxiety. Um, and then you know my album comes out, and then sometime around that that point, I hear about Ignorance, which is also an album about climate anxiety. And I was like, ah, you know, I was unhappy with that at first. Um, but then obviously listening to it, <laughs> I was like, man. <laughs> but listening yeah. to it, it, it I, she just executed it perfectly. Um, and it's a, it's a classic album. Um, and as far as like conceptually, you know, I, I think she just, she nailed it. Um, and trust is a beautiful, that's like a piano ballad on that record. Um, and, uh, just a, just a stunning track, uh, just a stunning track. And, um, yeah, one of my favorite records to put on. Um, I think that she, you know, there, there, it's different than my record. Um, but I think she was so successful in capturing those feelings. Cause I know for her, it was also just try, just like me, just trying to process what's happening. Um, and yeah, she was extremely successful. Highly recommend that record. Nobody powerful sparse record uh the record is called quiet signs by jessica pratt and you chose the mm-hmm. song crossing yeah. yeah i'm a huge jessica pratt fan uh like i said earlier I don't, I don't listen to a lot of folk music but she is you know she's only put out a couple records i think quiet signs is like 25 minutes long it's incredibly short but it's just it's just like perfect i mean the and the and the quality of the recording um is just it's kind of lo-fi but also just incredibly warm and um just sounds super intimate and sounds all of her stuff has a very timeless quality um and crossing is that's a great song that's um it almost has like a kind of a medieval thing going on with the vocal melody uh which i just love and um yeah yeah i'm hoping she puts out another record because she always you know does it soon because they're always quite a few years apart um but, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. And I, I, yeah, I think um, she has this. She's mysterious as well, which I also appreciate. Um, doesn't do a lot of interviews. Doesn't play a whole lot of shows. Uh, just puts out a record and disappears for a few years. Uh, no crazy social media presence. Just all this stuff. I just I admire in an artist. Um, yeah, yeah. I was glad that was on your list because I I love Quiet Signs. Logan, 
Thank you for so much for taking the time to speak with me. Everyone, Logan's new record, A Mold for the Bell, is out now via Western Vinyl. You can get a copy via Logan's Bandcamp, which is loganfarmer.bandcamp.com. You could also head to the Western Vinyl website, westernvinyl.com. Logan. So what's on the agenda for 2023 for you? Yeah, I'm just going to try. I mean, it takes a long time to put out a record nowadays. So I'm trying to get ahead of the curve a little bit, and I'm trying to uh, figure some stuff out because I have a lot of songs that I want to share. Um, so recording 2023 and, and hopefully uh, playing some shows. So keep a lookout. Keep a lookout. Keep your eye on Logan Farmer coming to a town near you very soon. Logan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tom. All right, we're going to end today's episode with the final track from A Mold from the Bell. This one is called South Vienna.
Feels your 